Spartans never retreat. Spartans never surrender. Spartans, prepare for glory. This is where we hold them. This is where they die. What if everything was against you? What if there was no way out? Nothing was ever convincing you or showing you that nothing you could do would ever, you would ever win. Nothing, there's no evidence that would convince you that you could do anything that would make you come out on top or that could help you win anything. What would you do? And how would you handle it if you could? And there has, there has been a long history about this. There's actually been, as far as I know, three movies. But only one of them was actually as true as it could get to what actually occurred and to what actually happened. And this is a lot of, this is very, very interesting because, like I said, there's movies about it. So I saw the movies and I've studied it. And the interesting thing, and this is about the Battle of Thermopylae. T-H-E-R-M-O-P-Y-L-A-E. Now, everyone, like I did, wondered how you spell that after someone pronounces Thermopylae. It's not exactly, doesn't exactly look how you think it would be spelled from hearing someone pronounce it. It's kind of weird in that respect. So, that's why I spelled it like that. But I wondered a lot about it. Like, I wondered a lot about its history. Where it could come from and what was it like. No, you know, the interesting thing about the movies is the actor who played King Leonidas in the movies, uh, Gerard Butler, is, that's all off. That's, to me, now, yes, I guess for his strength and his position, his disposition, he was right for the role. So, yeah, I, I can understand that. But he's all wrong in every other aspect for it. As far as I understand, Gerard Butler is Irish. What's the problem with that? Well, the Battle of Thermopylae is Greek. Two completely <laughs> different, not even related in even any slightest realm of imagination. So even that's a bit odd. So that you can kind of like... I don't know if I believe that he's King Leonidas. But throw that out. Throw the fact that, that Gerard Butler is Irish. And, sure, I get that he could be. You know, he's he's a big guy. He, he, he fits the role. Now, there's a lot of things that don't kind of add up. But a lot of things about the movie is about the movie and its historical implications are very, very interesting. So, and, I, and I've done a lot of research and done a lot of notes from Britannica and Wikipedia and other sources that I've gone to, and it's just very, very interesting. It's very, very wonderful to, to get into. So it, it, is, it occurred in 480 BC in central Greece at the mountain pass of Thermopylae during the Persian Wars. The Greek forces, mostly Spartan, were, were led by King Leonidas. After three, day, three days of holding their own against Persian King Xerxes I and his vast southward advancing army, the Greeks were betrayed, and the Persians were able to outflank them, sending the main army in to retreat. 
Leonidas and a small contingent remained behind to resist the advance and were defeated. The Battle of Thermopylae's political origins can be traced back to Xerxes' predecessor, Darius I, who sent heralds to Greek cities in 491 BC in the hopes of persuading them to accept Persian authority. This offended the proud Greeks greatly. The Athenians went so far as to toss the Persians' heralds into a pit, while the Spartans followed suit and tossed them into a well. In 480 BC, Xerxes invaded Greece as a continuation of Darius' original plan. He began the same way his predecessor had. He sent heralds to Greek cities, but he skipped over Athens and Sparta because of their previous responses. Many Greek city-states either joined Xerxes or remained neutral, while, while Athens and Sparta led the resistance with a number of their city-states behind them. Before invading, Xerxes implored the Spartan king Leonidas to surrender his arms. Leonidas famously replied, Come and take them. Xerxes intended to do just that, and thus moved towards Thermopylae. Xerxes led a vast army overland from, from the Dardanelles, accompanied by a substantial fleet moving along the coast. His forces quickly seized northern Greece and began moving to the south. The Greek resistance tried to halt Persian, Persian advances on land in an at the narrow pass of Thermopylae and at, and at sea in the nearby Strait of Artemisium. The Greek army was led by Leonidas, as, as I just mentioned, who was estimated to have around 7,000 men. Xerxes, on the other hand, had significantly more. Ready for this number? I remind you again, Leonidas estimated was to have around 7,000 men. Xerxes had anywhere from 70,000 to 300,000. Despite the disparity in numbers, the Greeks were able to maintain their position. Their strategy invaded, involved holding a line only a few dozen yards long between, between a steep hillside and the sea. This constricted the battlefield and prevented the Persians from utilizing their vast numbers. For two days, the Greeks defended against Persian attacks and suffered light losses as they imposed heavy casualties on the Persian army. Only, only when the Greeks were betrayed did this battle take a determinately... Determinately. Did this, battle, did this battle take a detrimental turn for them. Ephialtes, sorry, Ephialtes, sorry, Ephialtes, sorry, that's a better pronunciation of that. Ephialtes, a Greek citizen desiring reward, informed Xerxes of a path that went around Thermopylae, thus rendering the Greek line useless in preventing the forward advancement of the Persian army. Xerxes took advantage of this betrayal and sent part of his army along the path led by Ephialtes himself. 
After reaching the other side, the Persians attacked and destroyed a portion of the Greek army. This forced Leonidas to call in a war council, at which it was decided that retreating was the best option. However, as the majority of the Greek army retreated, Leonidas, his 300 bodyguards, and some helots, people enslaved by the Spartans, those were helots, and 1,100 Boeotians remained behind. Boeotians, B-O-E-E-O-T-I-A-N-S, remained behind. Supposedly because retreating would defy Spartan law and custom. They held their ground against the Persians, but were quickly defeated by the vast enemy army. And many, if not all, and sources differ, were killed, including Leonidas. News of this defeat reached the troops at Artemisium, and and Greek forces there retreated as well. The Persian victory at Thermopylae allowed for Xerxes' passage into southern Greece, which expanded the Persian Empire even further. Today, the Battle of Thermopylae is celebrated as an example of heroic persistence against a seemingly impossible odd. Soon after the battle, the Greeks built built a stone lion in honor of those who had died specifically for the fallen King Leonidas. In 1955, a statue of Leonidas was erected by King Paul of Greece in commemoration of his and his troops' bravery. The Battle of Thermopylae also served as an inspiration for 300. There's, there's, a lot, there's a lot about... Now, if I can get the article to back up here, there's a lot about the battle that is a little unclear. There's a lot about the like 7,000 7,000 against Xerxes 70,000 that's that's a huge number. And a lot this is also a lot of this is from this part is from history.net and Rachel Bassinger. This is who I'm drawing this from, Rachel Rachel Bassinger. The year is 480. 300 Spartans joined by a small force of Greeks, defend the mountain pass of Thermopylae against the invading Persians. If the 300 Spartans had stayed home, and if the Persians had won the, Greco- had won the Greco-Persian wars, the Western concept of freedom w- would most likely not exist. Authoritarian monarchy would have been the norm, and it would have taken a group of people, much like the Spartans, to champion again champion again values like protection, free will and freedom over imperialism, coercion and authoritarianism. Of course, course, such a defense could have happened, but it might have but it might have been harder knowing that the Spartans and other Greeks defending freedom at the Battle of Thermopylae, Salamis and Plataea had not been able had not been able to do it. Although the Battle of Thermopylae in 480 BC or 481 happened about 100 years before the great philosopher was and defender of freedom Aristotle was born, the Greeks still had a concept of defending the city-state, defending the city-state called the polis, and P-O-L-I-S, and that must—that's where the end of certain c- city names 
come from Indianapolis, Minneapolis. You can see the last few letters there, polis. That's where the that's where that comes from. That they're getting they're getting it from the Greek implication of the name. A plethora of polis existed throughout Greece since about the eighth century BC. Each city state zealously guarded its, its zealously guarded its autonomy, desiring the freedom to live according to its own di- own dictates, not another city states, or more importantly, authoritarian regimes' opinions. While the government of Polis sometimes of Apolius sometimes differed and even fought against one another, almost all the Greek city states did agree in at least one aspect. On at least one aspect, the Persians were authoritarian, had no concept of freedom, enslaved their people, and must be defeated. Thus, even though Aristotle had not had not yet described the Greek ideal of freedom, all the city-states defended their independence against enemies, foreign and domestic, particularly in the case of the Battle of Thermopylae. This great battle, this great battle in 480, happened during the Greco-Persian Wars, in which King Xerxes of Persia was attempting to gain more territory. A group of Greeks, including the Spartans and Athenians and others, banded together to fight against the Persian menace. In order to eat, in order to achieve hegemony over the Greek mainland, Xerxes planned to attack by land and by sea. The loose coalition of, of of Hellenes, Hellenes, ancient Greeks, identified the mountain pass of Thermopylae and the Cape of Artemisium as the key defense land and sea points, respectively, and sent a conglomeration of Greeks headed by King Leonidas of Sparta to protect Thermopylae. Because of the Olympic, because the Olympic Games were occurring at the same time as the expected Persian invasion. The Greek alliance sent only a small advance guard. Leonidas sent the local contingent to defend to defend Anape, A N O P A E A, a single file pass near Thermopylae. While while the 300 Spartans and others remained on narrow yet somewhat larger pass of Thermopylae. The Persian assault began on August 17th and lasted for three days before the Persians finally killed the 298 Spartans who had defended the mountain pass with another small Greek contingent of roughly three to 4,000 men. Before the Spartans and others died, however, they had slain 20,000 Persians. For that, for that small amount of Spartans, that's a pretty big number, pretty good number of, of enemies. While the Battle of Thermopylae is technically a defeat for the Greek coalition, it was also a conquest. It marked the beginning of several important Greek victories against the Persians and re- represented a moral shift in the Greeks and in their mindsets. Even though almost all of the 300 Spartans had died, they had fought vigorously and valiantly, refusing to merely submit to the Persians. Encouraged by such Spartan actions, the other surviving Greeks fought with greater dyna- dyna- 
I can't say the word dynamism against the Persians. Well, now I can. Although the Greeks finally beat the Persians in the Battle of in the Battle of Plataea in 479 BC, thus ending the Greco-Persian Wars, many scholars attribute the eventual Greek success over the Persians to the Spartans' defense at Thermopylae. People will repeatedly say, although Thermopylae it was it was a defeat for the Greeks, it was actually a victory because of what it inspired the Greeks to do, and what and what it inspired within them and how it made them stronger. Everyone is saying, and a lot of people are saying, it was actually a victory. And reading what I found out and the research I've come to, I could believe that. Makes perfect sense. How had the Spartans and the other and other later Greek armies fled in fear, it is likely that a Persian victory would have promoted imperialism over protection, coercion over free will, and authoritarianism over freedom. By its very nature, the Persian Empire was expansionist. Cyrus, Darius, Xerxes, and other Persian kings all wanted to expand the influence of Persia throughout the throughout the known world. And bear in mind, this is all kind of slighted by the research I've been able to find who is very pro-Greek. Now, it's not... Yes, I know the way this has been depicted is depicted the Persians as, as the villains. And if you think about that from their point of view, you go from their point of view, who can... I can understand if an empire wants to try and expand and wants to try and grow. If you're in charge of something and you're in charge of an empire, of anything, whether it be it a business, a home personal business, your own world, your own life, you want to expand it, you want to grow it. So you can't really, you can sort of understand that empires like the Persians want to grow and they want to expand, and you, I understand that. Um, but to the, the means to where they do that, that leaves a lot to be an issue, a lot, a lot. A lot to be in debate. The Greeks, on the other hand, desired to protect the land they owned against invaders. Until Alexander the Great of Macedonia, they did not yearn for a world empire. The Greeks enjoyed their small, their small city-states and the freedom they had in each one to select a government for the area, such as Athens' democratic system although still it differed from today's democracies, and Sparta's oligarchy. If the Persians had, had been victorious the Gre- in the Greco-Persian Wars, the Persians might have created the first world empire and required the Greek city-states to submit to the Persian monarchy, not allowing the ideas of democracy and freedom to flourish. Although the Persians showed more clemency than other Asian empires like the Assyrians, governors accountable governors accountable to the king ruled the different regions or or Sartrapies S A T R A P I E S. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, but there it is spelled for you, so you can try to correct me on that. The other Greek Sartrapies Satrapies would be required to pay taxes to the Persian Empire. Rather than, rather, than, rather than existing as separate entities, 
the Greek city-states would, ha- would have been absorbed by the inv- invasive Persian government. As part of this empire, the Persians would have emphasized coercion over free will. As historian Paul Cartledge observes, Herodotus, the ancient Greek historian, recounts how the Persian king Xerxes drove his men into battle with whips while the, while the Greeks fought, fought of their own free will. The Spartans, he says, did not have to be whipped to make them fight with all their might. Whips were only for slaves, not free men. They were appropriate for a barbarian master to use on his slave subjects. But out of the question for, for citizen soldiers of a free Greek city-state. If the Persians had won, the king would have whipped the Greeks to make them fight, rather than allowing the Greeks to decide on their own to defend their ideal, their ideal and their ideas, ideas of freedom. Such an action would have turned the Greeks into barbarians and slaves instead of free men and women, thus limiting the distinction between Greek city-states and the Persian Empire. In fact, Greeks might even change their understanding of key virtues like freedom, like freedom, since they would be treated like slaves. Instead of learning about freedom, the Greeks would discover authoritarianism while the king's will triumphs the desires of anyone else. In his book, Thermopylae, Cartilage, sorry, I got startled there, I heard I heard a noise as I was recording, I heard a noise in the background, and it kind of startled me. It just made me jump. In his book, Thermopylae, Cartilage references the contrasting language that Herodotus uses to describe the Greeks and Persians. Since Sparta's system stood for freedom, it follows that the Greek kings stood for slavery. That doesn't make... That since Sparta's system stood for freedom, it follows that the Greek king, the great kings, I keep saying, I said, I saw the word great, and I kept saying Greek, and I don't, I don't know why. The word is actually great. The great king stood for slavery. Great king meaning Xerxes or Persian kings at the time. If the Persians had won. The Greeks would have grown to accept what they formally defined as slavery, as freedom. The ideals that motivated the Spartans to fight against the Persians at Thermopylae would have died under the Persians. Americans can thank the Greeks, and especially the Spartans, for things they love and sometimes take for granted, like the Constitution. Well, I wouldn't thank anyone for Chick-fil-A, but that's just me. Had the Spartans not stood up, there may not have been enough freedom-loving Greeks left to defend against the Persians. As the, as the renegade Spartan renegade Spartan Demerodas tells King Xerxes before the battle in Herodotus's The Histories, know this, if you subjugate these Spartan men, and those who have remained behind in Spartan in Sparta, there is no other race of human beings that will be left to raise their hands against you. But if you to raise their for you are now attacking 
the most noble kingdom of the Hellenes, of the Hellenes, and the best of men. That is a lot of. That is a lot. That is from History.net, and a lot of. I don't know, interesting. Interesting information. Interesting. Interesting stories. And it's. There's. I'm trying to. There's there's a, there's, there's another here's another little bit of interesting article here. As you approach Thermopylae, about 200 kilometers from modern Athens, from the north, the mountains loom before you like a wall. At the time of the invasion, the view was more daunting. Still, changes in the sea level mean that these days the hills of Thermopylae now skirt an, an alluvial plain. A mainly flat landform. But in 480 BC, the sea washed up to a base of steep hills, and the pass was narrow, five meters wide and mo- at most at each end, and no more than 15 meters even in the middle. The opposing Greek force was small, not much more than 7,000 and 300 Spartans at its core. But it was stuck like a cork in a bottle. To advance to the south, Xerxes had to take the pass, and time was not on his side. It was late in summer, and he needed to wrap up the whole invasion as far as, as fast as possible before winter. His army was vast. Ancient sources put his numbers in the millions. Although modern historians inclined to be about like I was numbers like I was saying earlier, even fifty thousand would have been a would have been huge by ancient standards. Xerxes knew that if he delayed, he faced supply problems. He needed to feed he needed to feed and water not just the warriors, but a host of camp followers, cavalry mounts, and baggage animals, plus an immense and lavish royal retinue. He was under a severe amount of, ple- of pressure. The Greeks were heavily outnumbered, but the tight space meant that the Persians could not use their vast numbers to crush them, and they could not use tactics that had made them masters of the worlds from the Aegean to the Indus, breaking the enemy with volley after volley of, ro- of arrows from a distance. Before moving in to annihilate them, Xerxes' force instead had to resort to the brutal hacking clash of infantry lines at close quarters. The Greek way of fighting were still the sheer numbers of the Persian force counted against them. Since in this confined space, they were at constant risk of being crushed by their own side. For two days, Xerxes threw division after division into the pass. All came back mauled, even his elite corpse of 10,000 immortals. But there were paths through the hills, and one particular led along the mountain overlooking the pass to a point behind the Greek lines. And that was the, that was the betrayal. So you can see before Benedict Arnold, there was a Benedict Arnold. So, name, American history name dropped there for everyone who, who remembers Benedict Arnold. 
there. Yeah, I mentioned his name. Who's right now? I'm going on a different article, so his name escapes me. Alerted to the path by a local Greek. At dusk on the second day, Xerxes sent his immortals to prepare to outflank the Greeks on the morning of day three. When Leonidas learned of the encirclement early on the third day, he called the meeting. They still had time to withdraw, but Leonidas and what was left of his 300 Spartans insisted on staying. So, too, did the contingent of 700 from the ancient Greek city of Thespe. T-H-E-S-P-I-A-E. Since their city in the nearby region of Boeotia, B-O-E-O-T-I-A, was in the path of any was in the path of any Persian advance, they had a good reason to lay down their lives. Four hundred for four hundred Thebans also stayed, only to de, only to desert at the end. The rest of the Greek force chose to leave. The historian Herodotus, keen to king to, to lionize Leonidas tells us that the leaders sent, sent allies away to spare their lives and win immortal glory. Although neither motive can be dismissed, it's likely that the main reason was strategic. The Persians, unlike the Greeks, had cavalry, which could overtake and destroy the retreating forces. To buy time for the retreating troops, Leonidas needed a rear guard to hold back the Persians and die if necessary. The rear guard held their own. Despite losing their commander, Leonidas, the commander, commander <laughs> despite using their, losing their commander, Leonidas, amidst brutal, drawn-out fighting. But then the immortals arrived, and the Greeks had to retreat to a low hill. The vicious hand-to-hand fighting had broken their spears and swords, but they fought on with daggers, hands, and teeth, and so the Persians tired of unnecessary losses and shot them down with arrow volleys. Arrowheads of Anatolian design have been found in large numbers on the hill by modern archaeologists. Technically, Thermopylae was a Greek defeat. That's technically. You can argue, yeah, by the numbers and the fact that the Persians end up taking, ended up taking the pass. That it was an actual defeat. But was it really? I mean, was it really a defeat? Can you say that the lessons that was learned from it taught the Greeks far more than anything else could have taught them? And... Thank you all so much for hanging around and listening as long as y'all have. Thank you all so much. Stick around for a little bit more on the end here. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? True, true friends of this podcast? Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. Give them a five-star review and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out.
want to go to the coolest place in Las Vegas, stay at the best hotel casino where you're treated like family, friends, and you feel like you belong, and it's very comfortable, and you even get to meet the CEO who greets everyone, go to the plaza. Stay at the plaza. Take my advice. You'll love it there. Please join me in supporting and giving to the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project. When you donate to the Pride Foundation, you join thousands of supporters building a better, safer, more equitable world for LGBTQIA people and their families. Every gift, whether $1 or $1,000, makes an impact for real people and ripples outward into our communities. There are many different ways to join and help the fight. Also go on to their websites for the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project and donate and help in any way possible. The Trevor Project offers support and help for LGBTQIA youth all over the country and all over the world. Please show them some love and give them some support.